You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Ask Concussion Doc, episode number 46. Uh, we got a couple topics today. Um, it was going to be a really short podcast, but there was a couple interesting studies that came out uh, looking at multiple concussions and the risk of having subsequent concussions after you've had one. So we decided to lump these two topics uh, into one just to create more... Um, I guess a longer show rather than a five minute piece. But the first thing I want to talk about is online concussion support groups. I know a lot of, at least my patients anyways, belong to these online concussion support groups. Um, the, the issue that I have with some of these groups, and obviously we get a lot of questions from people, you know, asking which groups they should belong to, or if we know of any good concussion support groups. And, um, we haven't really, like, I haven't really looked in to see which ones are the best or anything like that. I just, you know, I, I kind of um, have people just go and do their own homework to try and find out ones that, that they find uh, to be of value. The thing that I find universally with the concussion support groups that are out there, and one thing that I would try to caution people against, you know, going into it is that it has the capability of keeping you in a bit of a, a sick state, we'll call it. So oftentimes, and this is what I've heard from several of my patients, is that they'll be feeling good, having a good day, they'll go on to the concussion support group and they'll just read about everyone else's struggles, which, I mean, I get it, you know, when you're in that situation, you want to kind of hear and talk to people that are going through the same experiences. But what I've heard kind of universally through my patients is that when they tend to go on to these resources and look to them, if they're having a really good day, reading what everyone else's stuff kind of pulls them down, right? You're hearing from the person that's still recovering six years after their injury and you know they're they're in their first year of recovery and they're starting to feel really good right we got them exercising we give them a good diet we got them going doing their vestibular rehab their visual rehab their symptoms are starting to get knocked off all the way down they go on to the group and they read a bunch of you know stuff from people that isn't necessarily vetted it's not appropriate it's um you know definitely not evidence-based it's it's um you know, there's no moderation to it. People aren't necessarily patrolling and trying to foster a, um, a situation of like, you know, empowerment and improvement. It seems to just kind of throw a lot of negativity back um, towards yourself. So what I would caution if you are going into these online concussion support groups, these online concussion resources, is that the things you look for is people within the group that have actually recovered. And I think that that type of mentality where it's somebody who has recovered from a concussion that's offering support and guidance to people and helping to moderate the conversation towards you will get better and not to 
this never ends, we're never going to get better, we're always going to be stuck in this state because that tends to be depressing and discouraging to everyone else who's watching it. So I would try, rather than going on to online support groups, I would try to reach out to people that have had successful recoveries and try to use that as you know the motivation and the support of recovery not necessarily continuously focusing on your symptoms. Now I know that even just saying this and throwing this out there as a topic is probably going to be polarizing for a lot of people. I'm sure a lot of people find help in these support groups, but at the same time I'm sure a lot of these people um, are discouraged by a lot of the stuff that they read when they go into these online forums, these online support groups. So I think the thing for people to keep in mind is if if you see that you're constantly just reading about negative things, you're in the wrong place. That is going to psychologically keep you down. That is going to psychologically keep you in a sick state because anytime you're feeling good, all of a sudden it pulls you back in and then you start thinking, oh my God, am I going to be like this in six years? Am I going to just constantly struggle like this? No. You just need to find the right person, the right healthcare professional, somebody who knows about concussion to be able to guide you through this process. And once you find that, then you can recover. But if you're constantly going back to that negative side, you know, you're going to just keep getting pulled back into that web and you're just going to adopt that six state. So um, that's kind of what I want to say on that. Um, and I mean, this is by no means you know, trying to be negative for people that have found support in those groups or people that belong to a really good group. If you are in a really good group, feel free to share it so that we can kind of share those as suggestions for people. Um, one person I will say that you should probably be following on uh, social media, uh, Molly Parker does a good job of this, of kind of putting things in a positive light. She herself is going through concussion recovery, but she's also a physical therapist, so she's able to kind of look at it from both lenses. Another person that I would encourage you to follow is Nazig. Uh, she is, um, her, or her handle on Instagram is at Invisible Scar. Um, we'll also put that in the show notes for you, but she was actually a patient of mine and she came in six years after concussion injury and within about four sessions, uh, she was back to a hundred percent. So she still obviously has like flare ups of neck pain and headache, which were easily able to be treated when she comes to see me. But now she's, her whole platform is about the positive you know, end of recovery. And now that she's found that voice, encouraging others to seek out proper care and encouraging others that you will get better, right? Versus going and talking to people who have never gotten better, right? So I, I would just encourage you to make sure that you're having the right type of support groups. Like if you look at something like Alcoholics Anonymous or other types of models like that, it's always about the recovery, right? They talk about, yes, it's difficult, but we're, they're all in the recovery phase. This is people on the other end where they're still sick and they just, they're constantly talking about being sick, not necessarily the recovery side of things. So I think the focus needs to shift. Um, and if you have a good group that's out there that's doing that, please feel free to share it so that we can share it with our people. Um, but that's what I want to say about the online support group. Be wary of it. Don't get dragged into other people's negativity. If you're having a good day, stay away from it or maybe go on there and talk about how awesome your day is because that might help to lift others that are not having a good day. So I think the conversation in those groups needs to change towards that. And again, I'm not speaking for all of the groups, so don't get mad at me. I'm just throwing it out there. Okay, the next thing I wanna talk about is the risk 
of having a subsequent concussion after you've had one. So there's this huge kind of, you know, thought process, um, I'll call it a thought virus almost, that has kind of taken the concussion world away and it's made it actually into consensus statements where it's a risk factor to having subsequent concussions if you've had one previously. So people start looking at this thing, well, yeah, it's because after you have a concussion, you never actually fully recover from that concussion. You're always gonna be vulnerable. You're always more at risk for having another concussion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Most of this is based on flawed science. And the reason I say that the science is flawed is because what they'll do is they'll take a huge group of people, let's say, I think the one study I saw was 7,000 people, and they'll ask them to say, you know, how many concussions have you had in your lifetime? And people that report that they've had a previous concussion, they'll kind of group over here. And how many people have not had a previous concussion? Well, they'll group them over here. And then they'll follow them for a couple of years and they'll try to see how many people get concussions. And then what they'll do is look at the proportion. How many of the people that got a concussion in that period of time we were following them had a previous concussion? and how many people that we were following had not had a previous concussion and that was their first concussion. And then they'll look and they say, wow, it's way more likely that the group that had had a concussion is gonna get that second concussion. So therefore the risk of having a subsequent concussion, if you've already had one, is two, three, four, five, or maybe even six times greater if you've had a previous concussion than if you haven't had a previous concussion. Now, the problem with those types of studies is there's so many variables that go into your risk for concussion that you can't possibly control for all of them. Things like position, right? If you're gonna take a football team, you know that the highest risk of concussion are gonna be in you know, the cornerbacks, the receivers, and the running backs. That's gonna be your highest, and, and possibly the linebackers. People on the O-line don't get concussed as frequently as people that are in the kind of, we'll call them high speed positions, right? And so if you don't take into account position, if somebody's a, a wide receiver, well, they're gonna be at risk for getting subsequent concussions simply based on the fact that they're a wide receiver. Not because they've had a previous concussion, but the position that they play increases their risk inherently for concussion injuries. Secondly, you can't take into account style of play. So if a person is one of those types of players that rather than you know running with the football, rather than kind of ducking and weaving and moving out of the way of, of oncoming hits, maybe they're one of those players that puts their head down and just tries to bowl people over. That's a riskier play. That style of player, that person who takes more risks, is going to have an inherently greater risk of having concussion based on the way they play the game. Not because they've had a previous concussion, but because they play in a more aggressive manner. Okay, somebody who's a fighter in hockey. Well, they're gonna continue to fight after their first concussion and therefore put themselves at risk for having a second concussion. So a lot of the research that has been done historically is flawed in that way. So, and it's very mixed. This month, there was a meta-analysis and a systematic review by Reniker that came out looking at the history of concussion and the risk of subsequent injuries of all types. Right? There's been studies looking at lower limb injuries, increase in prevalence following concussion, upper limb injuries, and then also subsequent concussions. And so I'll, I'll look at it here. They had 27 studies that were included. Uh, 15 were rated as having good methodological quality. Um, the risk of secondary injury of all types was between 1.5 and 2.75 times higher in people. So secondary injury of any type was was 
between 1.5 and 2.7 times higher in the group with a, con a previous concussion uh, within the past 12 months, I believe. Just any history of concussion. And then they found that the risk of having a, su a subsequent concussion was between 1.8 and 4.4 times greater. Four and a half times greater, up to four and a half times greater to have a subsequent concussion if you've had one uh, previously, okay? So this kind of fits with all of these studies that have been done. But again, you can't control for style of play. You can't control for body type. You can't control for position. You Well, you could, but that would be a lot of work. People change positions a lot. You can't also control for how these injuries were managed. Perhaps if they were managed appropriately and brought back to play and, you know, go back to our previous, what was it, two episodes ago, we talked about concussion recovery and making sure you're going back to play in the appropriate way. Um, we can't control for that either. So this paper comes out, it's an editorial, but it's based on a study that was done looking at Cirque du Soleil uh, performers. And so the title of the study gives this away right now. First concussion did not increase the risk of subsequent concussion when patients were managed appropriately. The author is Schreer, and basically the first, I'll read the first kind of two sentences to you. Some studies suggest that having a concussion during athletic activities increases the risk of subsequent concussion, potentially because of incomplete recovery after brain trauma. However, these analyses are flawed for causal interpretation because participants with one concussion likely have different inherent risks compared to those with no concussions. And so what they did is they changed the methodology of how you would look at this problem. And so what they did is they looked at uh, Cirque du Soleil athletes between 2007 and 2016. Cirque du Soleil implemented evidence-based um, consensus guidelines for all of their return to activity in 2007. So beyond that, they have a medical team that does the appropriate return to play process, returning them back to um, you know, their sport, which is actually circus performing. They found that the highest risk of concussion was in the acrobat group people that are obviously getting thrown around in the air and doing high-risk things versus any of the other types of performers. So again, let's talk, let's think, let's consider acrobat to be the position of those athletes. If I'm going to take a group of people and say, okay, well, the acrobat, I'm going to say, how many people have you had a previous concussion? Well, it's more likely that a lot of the acrobats are going to be the ones to raise their hand. If I take those acrobats and I put them over here in group one that says they've had a previous concussion, and then I take everyone else and say, no, they haven't had a previous concussion, and then I watch both of those groups over the next five years to try and see what happens, well, guess what? The group of acrobats is still going to have a higher risk of having concussion simply because they're acrobats. But that study is now going to show, well, the group with previous concussions was higher risk for having subsequent concussions. Do you see how this makes a flaw in the methodology for how you design the study, right? Inherent risks. The groups are different, even though they're technically all circus performers, they're doing different tasks. So what these guys did is they compared the two methodological constructs. So they said, everyone who's had a previous concussion, we mark it down and then we follow them for a couple of years and then look at everyone who's had a subsequent concussion and we compare the two groups as a whole and of course you see this massive difference and I'll put the I'll put this in the show notes too so you can see it but there's a chart that shows there's a good separation there huge difference between 
um, and huge difference in risk for those that had previous concussions. But then what they did to change it up a little bit is they took everyone that had had a concussion and then looked at their risk for subsequent concussions to see if it was any greater than the group that didn't. And they found there that the odds ratios were no different. There was no statistical difference between the two groups provided it was looked at in that way. Okay, so a lot of this is just how we're looking at it. And they, I mean, this, this, the, the study title is a little misleading because they say patients were managed appropriately. Yes, the patients were managed appropriately, but I think this comes down more to the statistical calculations that they did. So these are things that I've always had questions about and I've always been, you know, very concerned with the quality of research that's coming out to suggest that people that have had a concussion are way more at risk to having subsequent or future concussions. The data from an epidemiological standpoint may show that and the conclusions of these studies may show that, but I think the way in which we're calculating that is flawed because of all these extraneous variables that go into it that are not being controlled for. Style of play, uh, positional play, body type, um, whether or not they were managed appropriately, diagnosed appropriately, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And when you take all those variables and try to control for it, as was done in this case, uh, you see that there actually is no difference. Your risk is just the same. A concussion is a concussion is a concussion. Now, keep in mind, this is only one study, and I think we just need to start looking at things a little bit differently. What they do say at the end is, this analysis requires that the, the assumption that concussion risk is stable over time. And the reason why it is in circus performers is that the performance generally stays the same throughout the year. Whereas in over the course of a sports season, things may change with playoffs, fatigue, as you know what I mean? So that requires a more complex analysis to try and replicate this in other sports. And so what they kind of conclude with is, our conclusions are derived from a work environment in which concussions are managed by a step by stepped increases in physical and mental stress and return to activity requires that these activities do not provoke symptoms. The analysis also requires the assumption that concussion risk is stable over time, which is expected in the Cirque du Soleil, where performances in January and September are similar. More complex methods are required when fatigue and style of play may change over the course of a season in sport. We conclude that concussions managed according to current recommendations may not causally increase subsequent concussion risk in circus artists. Readers should be cautious when making inferences from studies that use traditional analyses which compare risk of subsequent concussion to the risk of a first injury. There's the summary. So I think that we've had this question too. Like we've got, when I said, you know, we're looking for topics for podcasts, people say, talk about the risk of future concussions if I've had one in the past, right? I think we just need to slow down on that whole idea. I think that the studies that have been done have their flaws and I think we need to start looking at it in a different way and making sure that our statistical calculations and the methods in which we do these studies are appropriate for the question we're actually trying to answer. That is it for today. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.